I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Online podcast. Be sure to eat all your vegetables. Welcome back to the Align Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander, and today I chatted with Miss Katie Bowman from Aligned and Well, from Move Your DNA, from all sorts of stuff. If you don't know her yet, you got to get to know her. She has amazing, amazing content on how to live more effectively in these bodies of ours. In this here conversation today, we got into the value of nutritious movement, hence the ridiculous introductory with eating your vegetables, looking at how we move as being analogous with how we eat. We need to get a full spectrum of all our amino acids and our vitamins and our minerals and branch chain fatty, blah, 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 blah. Same concept in our movement. It's a very, very interesting analogy that I love to get into. And that's what we chatted about with Katie Bowman today. Um, got into the potential impacts of our movement in relation to things like atherosclerosis and circulation through our system. And what else? We got into casts, how we are potentially wearing all these casts throughout the day. We don't even realize it. What the heck could that mean? Oh, holy cow. Cells depend quite a bit on movement. So you're basically making your breast and your balls sedentary is what you're doing, right? So you're going, ah, we're going to, we're going to, for whatever reasons, cultural comfort, we are going to make these parts of us not move. But as you were saying before, movement is not always for the sake of movement. Movement is what keeps things healthy. And then that gets handed down and handed down. And then you get a whole population of people who have a particular shape to their body. And then you have anatomy books that reinforce this is the shape of a human, you know, forgetting to mention that they are the shape of casted humans that live in a particular way. Your neck position and the the bulging discs in your neck, you know, can be geometrically traced back to footwear, you know? So I just think that put it all on the table and then consider that all of it can be affected by all that you do, not just the flat and level ground, but all the casts, all the casts that you have on your body. Really, really fascinating conversation. I hope y'all enjoy it. And in other news, I just wanted to send a special thanks to you, to everyone listening right now. Um, It's pretty amazing getting to watch on my hosting for this podcast account. I can see where people are listening from. We have people in Kenya. We have people in Croatia. We have people all over the world tuning into this. And it is just such an amazing pleasure to get to uh, be involved with that. So I want to start reading people's comments uh, on the show. And if people have questions or anything like that, please write in. I'd be happy to do my darndest to guide you along any questions you may have. So comment of the day is from Dan from Colorado, which is my alma mater. He says, uh, an irreverent ramp into the world of health and spirituality. Five stars. Excellent podcast, exclamation point. Aaron expertly rides that delicate balance between entertaining and informative that marks the sign of a truly talented host. Oh, my. 
A lion is both intelligent and irreverent and covers so many topics pertinent to today, including sex, spirituality, health, and beyond. So, whatever you might be doing right now, bring Aaron along and prepare to learn and laugh. Thank you so much for that, Dan. I appreciate that. Send those comments in, people. I greatly appreciate them. Honest to God, I, uh, I've cried before from comments. So, <laughs> I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, one more thing in this conversation, along with my irreverence, um, I accidentally switched out the name Newtonian for Darwinian. I'm reading this book on Darwin, and I'm just talking about our movement in relation to Newtonian mechanics, and I accidentally said Darwinian. I am so sorry. <laughs> Uh, be sure to check out aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you will find the blog. You will find hundreds of absolutely free videos on functional care and self-movement. Self-movement, self-care and functional movement. And uh, you'll find the self-care kit where it is a foam roller, a couple different size balls, band, door anchor, everything you need to keep those tissues moving fantastically, keep the joints decompressed, and keep your body upright, strong, stable like it should me check out the courses as well just put out some really really fantastic courses uh, ebook video guides on functional movement and uh, on self-care really just packing a lot of great info in there with a ton of videos in relation to how to keep that body moving well subscribe share leave your comments on itunes please and thank you and here we go the one and only miss katie bowman podcast so i want to start off with a quote that's the it's the very first quote in the whole entire book that i really enjoyed it is the pattern of disease or injury that affects any group of of people is never a matter of chance it is invariably the expression of stresses and strains to which they were exposed a response to everything in their environment and behavior so i think that 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 uh, quote is extremely poignant in our day and age because we are living in this human zoo, right? I mean, so we, we are attempting to recreate what a human would be like in the wild with our movement practice. But the fact of the matter is that we are in a zoo, right? And I think it's fine that we're in a zoo. We can be very happy and healthy in a zoo, but nonetheless, we are in a zoo. And one of the things that you chat about is casts, you know, and how that impacts our movement and how we don't necessarily realize that we may be in a cast of sorts. So could you kind of like expound on what you mean by that exactly? What is it to be in a cast? Well, I mean, I mean casts quite literally in the same way that you get your arm in a cast. A cast is something that um, immobilizes a material um, for the purpose of creating a, a particular shape. It was the original term of cast. So like you would cast like a bronze cast, you know, metalists would pour their metal into a molding and then that molding, they, they would cast a piece. That's what it's called when artists work with metal. They cast a particular piece. They set its shape. And then we've got the casts that we use in, in um, tissue therapies. Like if you break your arm or whatever, you know, you fracture your foot and you're, you're set in a particular cast so that you do not move outside of a particular set of limitations. And so there are very obvious casts, you know, like a sling or a, 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 a medical cast. But then there are other casts that aren't so clearly seen, like 
what you've probably walked on the last hundred thousand steps is is flat and level ground. So it's hard to see flat and level ground as a cask because you're moving over it. But what it does is it it prevents you from moving your ankle and other joints, but most more simply, it prevents you from moving your ankle in all of the ways that it would move um, in a varied surface situation. So so it, it's a cast because it prevents that range of motion from happening. And so there's there are many casts in our zoo, as you said, um, that are shaping our body in a particular way. But we've kind of lost, I think, the ability to see it because we were really born into casts, right? That's what a right. zoo is. You're, you're just born. You're born into a particular situation. You don't have any experience outside of it. It's not abnormal to you. Um, and then... And then that gets handed down and handed down, and then you get a whole population of people who have a particular shape to their body, and then you have anatomy books that reinforce this is the shape of a human, you know, forgetting to mention that they are the shape of casted humans that live in a particular way. And so I just, I think part of what I do um, is try to point out um, how culturally the effect of being in a zoo affects things like scientific investigation and terminology and then the way we think about things like anatomy and how how um how fixed we feel our body is in a particular shape you know we really really can't think outside of our shape because isn't that just the way that it is and right. and so so that's what i mean by i guess casts so <laughs> go on no no that was it it's 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 <laughs> it's metaphorical in the sense of it's hard to see outside of it. It's hard to move outside of, it's hard to move differently when when movement in a, of a particular way has become a culture, right? It becomes counterculture, you know, for someone like me to have no furniture. Right. Minimal shoes was kind of counterculture to, to move outside the foot casts that we call shoes. And and so there's a, there's a literal and a meta, metaphorical element to casting, I think. Right, yeah. And it, I think it's, it's really, it's, it's difficult if everyone, it's like fish don't realize that they're in water. You know, as, as we're cruising around, if you're in an, you, you, you only understand the environment that you're surrounded by. You know, so if you're surrounded by, you know, people that are in this hyperkyphotic position or they have collapsed arches or they're jerks or they're whatever, that's all you know. You know, and so I, I think it's some, something like your book and your work, I think is really important because it is a little bit of like a, a broader perspective on that. It's like the, you know, the 30,000 foot view and like, what's really happening here? You know, and so one of the things with the foot that's interesting is, you know, the feet are complex. You know, we have 26 bones and 33 joints and you have all this potential articulation without the, throughout the feet. You know, and like you said, like we are in the cast of just flat surfaces, you know, and we think about like, like plantar fasciitis and it's like these conditions that it's like, well, the foot, what do you expect from it? If all you have, if you have a collapsed arch and all you have is the option to walk on flat surfaces all day long, or you're wearing orthotics and it's lifting your arch for you. So you, your muscles end up atrophying. Like you don't really have much, much of a choice, but the people that we're trusting, are telling us this is the only way to do it. So it's, it's, it's difficult. The thing I'm curious with you is what are some of the, the, the consequences that we might not realize? So it's like, okay, whatever, one flat ground, you know, no big deal. We're all doing it. I'm fine. I feel, I feel great. You know, like what could be happening with people if we're not exposed to a variety of environments for, you know, just our, our feet, for example, is there anything that you can point out with that? 
Well, I mean, it's really hard to parse out. Like, I think, you know, I mentioned the, how the ankle moves on flat level ground. You're like, well, my feet are fine, so it's not affecting me. And, um, but it's not like your your whole body is just one object. And so, you know, the whole, like, I feel fine statement, I always ask people, like, before you even go on to anything else, is to take a, a better, a, like, a more objective look at your health. And right. in the beginning of Move Your DNA, it's like, you need to make a list. You need to sit down and and make a list out of all of the medicines you take or the, or the, or even if you're say, Oh, I don't take medicines. I do, you know, like alternative movement practices. Well, ex corrective exercises themselves are, are like supplements, right? So if you find yourself going to that same corrective exercise over and over again to fix problem X, then put problem X on the list, whether it's, a twingy knee or a back that goes out, you know, a couple times a year, or you get your bone density test back and there's something going on with it. So any, any environmental input, whether it's flat and level ground or that you sit in a chair or that you look at a computer screen, the bulk of the time, um, or that you wear really stiff shoes, it's a, it's <laughs> that thing that you're doing is affecting all trillion of your body parts, all of your cells. And so it's not always that the, the, uh, it's not always that the flat and level ground or the shoes are affecting the foot or only the lower leg. It's like your, your neck position and the, the bulging discs in your neck, you know, can be geometrically traced back to footwear, you know? So I just think that put it all on the table and then consider that all of it can be affected by all that you do, not just the flat and level ground, but all the casts all the casts that you have on your body, it's really, um, it's all, it's all up for grabs, I guess, as far as linking, linking them up to, to what's going on. Sure. You know, and so I look at the foot as, as being almost like a hydraulic pump. You know, if you've ever pumped water out of the earth and you, you up and down and up and down, it creates this hydraulic force, you know, a similar concept happening in your, in your body where every time that you, it's hard to kind of explain this stuff on podcast, but every time that you come back into that dorsiflexion, you're flexing your foot, you're, you're, you're going to hip extension, you know, you are causing your whole entire system to pump in a sense. Right. You know, and so if you only have, if you have a rusty pump where you're only, you're only getting a limited range of motion within that space, you will be limited by your most limited range throughout the rest of your system. And it will end up manifesting everywhere, you know? And again, it's like, we look at the body from more of this Darwinian perspective where it's like, we, you know, we break it down. It's like the shoulder is the shoulder and the hand is the hand and the foot is the foot, but the, the foot is the hand is the shoulder is the pelvis is the hip. You know, and I think that we need to recognize that if we change any aspect of the system, the whole entire system falls along with it, you know? And so with what you're pointing out is like getting more nutritious movement, you know, and nutritious movement, I think is a beautiful analogy because it's like when we go out is a really great analogy would be like walking along a trail, you know, when you're walking along the trail, even though you're outside way better than just, you know, walking through the mall, you know, but you're still like, that's not a natural thing for human beings. Like human beings would walk along a trail, but they'd also be walking on roots. They'd also be climbing up trees. They'd be climbing around rocks. You know, we have to run, we have to squat, we have to kneel, you know? And so one of the things that you do that I think is very interesting is um, you don't use furniture at your house as a means of making, <laughs> making your momentary movement more nutritious. Um, that's something that I talk to people about a lot, but I, I often end up being kind of like that crazy ranting guy that does it. Can you kind of get into like what, 
what the purpose of that is and, and, the, and the, the potential of furniture, what that can do to us? Well, I mean, nutritious movement is like a nutritious diet. It has to be it has to be varied in order to get all of your movement nutrients. And so, you know, we have like this, we have the large problem of, you know, everyone being too sedentary, even people who exercise all the time, like they're still falling into the sedentary category because it's such a small percentage of their total time. But then there's this other idea of you have sedentary parts. There are parts of you, even when you're like, well, I'm going to go out and exercise. It's like, yeah, but you know what? Some of you are still sedentary because of the adaptations to what you do most frequently, which is not move. And so um, for me, like when you're trying to negotiate modern living with, you know, maybe a better understanding of there is a more nutritious way to behave at a certain point, you have to look around and go, okay, what are the, it's like, it's the same thing with a diet. You're like, I'm trying to eat really well, but like, man, those 17 cookies like sneak into my week every single week. And at a certain point, you just stop buying the cookies because you realize that having the cookies is is thwarting your progress. So you cannot, you can't undo cookies by eating well afterwards, right? You can't right. be like, well, I ate 17 cookies, but I'm gonna eat four salads and those salads will somehow cancel out the cookies. Like some people have that attitude towards food, but I think most people kind of go, it's all going into your machine. We're still gonna feel crappy after the cookies. Um, even though you also get the nutrients from the salad, but the same thing goes for movement. Like, wait, we have this like, well, I'm going to exercise and do my correctives and fix my posture when I'm thinking about it. But the rest of the time I'm just sitting on my couch. Um, and we have kind of a, a idea that exercise offsets sloth and, and offsets, um, like large bouts of being sedentary. So I just got rid of my couches. Like I was like, clean out the cupboards of the junk food, clean down my living room of the junk food. And, and the couch is really, um, uh, you're outsourcing, you're outsourcing the work of your body. Like you can't work well sitting on a couch, sitting well on a couch is never going to be as nutritious as not sitting on the couch. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to make it easier for me. Plus I have kids and it's like, well, I can't both teach them how to be well, good movers and then put them in the same sort of zoo that shaped me and all the needs for correctives that I had. So we just got rid of our furniture and yeah. there you go. Yeah. You know, and it's, if you go to, you know, Japan or someplace where people sit on the floor, get up and get down on a regular basis, things like fall risk all of a sudden become obsolete. You know, it's like yeah. falling down on the ground, like big deal. That's a part of my life, you know? And that's, I think something that people, we we're, we fear falling. You know, and it's like, <laughs> falling is an art. Falling is something that we should be practicing. You know, it's taking all of those skills, those proprioceptive skills that we've hopefully developed because we move through a broad range and full dynamic range of motion. You know, that our body is sophisticated, our neuromuscular system and, and every system is sophisticated enough that when things get ballistic, you're okay. You know, but what we've done is we've put ourselves in these casted lifestyles, in these bubbles, so that when any when shit does hit the fan, we're screwed. You know, I think it's 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 so important that we're we're preparing for the time that we do take a fall. You know, and it's like one of the things that you you mentioned. I know you've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to go into it too too much. But I think it's just such a beautiful analogy that I want people to have is the orca whales and the the floppy fin thing, the flaccid fin thing. You know, is there? Can you kind of briefly break that down and then a little thing of like what are some of the the flaccid fins that people 
in our society may not realize they have because they're surrounded by a bunch of flaccid fins. So flaccid fin syndrome, as outlined in the book, is looking at, if you look at orca whales in captivity, um, you will see, especially on the males or on the on the taller finned orcas, that their fin folds over. So if, just go Google free willy and you can see a picture of what it is that we're talking about. Right. But it's like... When I was little and was asking why that happened, they just told me it was because captive whales are sad. But um, through a better investigation process, it's just that the me- the mechanical the mechanical nutrients, the inputs to the whale, are not there. The forces that are created by moving in a particular way are missing, and so the fin just folds over. So there's mechanical reasons, like there's nothing wrong with the tissue. The tissue is fine. Um, it's that the way that the orca moves creates a, a load that deforms the fin in that particular way. And so forces are not something that has been, has been considered really um, <laughs> in, the, in the anatomical worlds. Like, so when you get anatomy books and take anatomy courses and take physiology courses and take biology courses, those are force-free models for the most part. So what most people learn as human science has had forces removed. You're just really studying parts and you're looking at chemical processes for the most part, Um, even though forces affect the parts and the way that those parts work, they've just kind of been left off for the last, um, they were in there kind of when Leonardo da Vinci and um, Galileo were working on human body science, but they fell away um, when chemistry came into favor and they're just now starting to come back when they realize, oh, hey, all of our cell models and everything that we know kind of about anatomy is really like about in a vacuum and not the way that it actually works. So we've right. we've added this idea that there are parts. Forces are parts, right? Your TV doesn't work without electricity. So you can't you have to list electricity as a part of a working television. If not, it's a television, but it's a non-working television. Right. And so so we've got our anatomy, our anatomy, it's like ironic, but our anatomy and physiology models are essentially non-working body models. Right. They're like, here's how a body works when it's not working. Right. You know, so um, <laughs> adding in forces, it's like, okay, how, you know, everyone's like, like they look at, they're trying to manage the muscles. Oh, well, this muscle contracts and pulls it this way and this muscle pulls it and moves it this way. And so every, every, all human movement is trying to be assessed from the push and pull of the stuffs that reside within or deep to the skin boundary, right? Like that you are an organism that it moves solely within your package um, as opposed to there are many forces that are created by how you interact with the environment. Sometimes, I mean, you move through the habitat, but your habitat can move you, that there are these forces that hold you up. So the, the force that maintains a uh, orca fin is created by the orca moving, but it's not contained within the orca. And so we have many similar forces that are created through movements, movements that we're not doing, and the results are our equivalent of folded fins. So hyperkyphosis and, you know, collapsed arches and digest. I mean, every problem that you have can be linked back to some force 
right? right? And how you experience, and whether you experience something too much or in a particular context or no, or no particular force at all. And you're missing that, you know, mechanical nutrient that, that everything, because it's just a system, it's just a working system, not all forces, you know, like if, um, what's an easier way to say it? Not everyone will experience a lack of vitamin C in the exact same way. There right. are threads, you know, like, oh, eventually you're going to get scurvy. But everyone has different sizes and shapes and the rest of people's diets are different. Like if you're starving and missing vitamin C, that's different than right. if you have a great diet except for vitamin C, right? So it becomes very difficult to make a list of real, every like super simplified, here's what you're, you should expect. You know, if you're walking on flat and level ground, expect ailment A, B, and C. It doesn't really work like that because you have couch potatoes who walk on through the mall sometimes. And then you have elite runners who run on flat and level ground. And both of them are having a problem with vitamin flat and level, but the problem is different as is the rest of their diet context is going to affect the particular outcome. But yeah, you have to think of yourself as, wow, like I, I am, I am that orca at SeaWorld. You right. really are. Right. And start to kind of think about solutions, try, not trying to fix the problem living inside your environment, but maybe just trying to fix your environment. Yeah. And so that's the, th you know, I've, I've come to terms with the fact that we are living in a zoo. And at first I was kind of more fire and brimstone about this. And it's like, it's a zoo, we got to get out. We got to, you know, get naked and like live in the woods. You know, and now I'm, I'm like, actually, I think that you can be a really effective animal in a zoo. You know, you just need to have certain things. You need to have good relationships. You need to have good movement. You need to have good food. You know, you need to be excited about the zoo that you're living in. And then you can create amazing things from that point. You know, and I think that it's, it's cool that you mentioned the TV and the electricity because human beings are a lightning storm. You know, we're a walking electrical storm. You know, the, the only problem is most people end up being a dismal, like, you know, flurry of drizzle. You know, we're just, we need to start activating our electrical system more. The way that we do that is through movement. You know, it's like a nutritious movement, nutritious movement being we're going into, we're relating into our, our backs, we're relating into our butts, we're relating to our whole entire system and getting out of this little two by two bubble that most of us live in being, you know, looking at our text, looking at our text messages or looking at our laptop or whatever it may be, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's just, it's when you do get out into nature and you do get to move through the woods and get on the, the roots and the rocks and all that stuff and Dance is another one that I find to be incredibly important. You know, it's like just getting out of the standard linear model of movement. You know, what do you do yourself outside? Because not sitting on a couch, that's great, but you can still be in pretty deplorable condition, you know, even if, even if you do get rid of your couch. Is there, what, what kind of stuff do you think people can reach out and do today to develop their electrical storm in their body? Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think, you know, there's different, <laughs> there's different levels that you can commit to it. Like I... I am actually at the stage where I free myself from the zoo quite regularly, but it took me years to get there. So I think that the first thing, the first thing that I felt most comfortable doing was um, connecting more to my body within the exercise context, right? So everyone, I would imagine that most people listening have carved some time for exercise. So you start looking at the movement that you're already doing and going, can I make this more nutritious? So can I do things that bring more of my parts to the party, so to speak, um, while I'm doing whatever it is. And then can I 
uh, try different modes of exercise that would fall more into the natural category and less into the kind of the junk food movement type thing, you know, using less electricity. Like, does your exercise require electricity? Is there a way that you can create all of your own internal electricity and not use a machine to do some of the work for your body? Um, And then there are things like household things, right? Because it's about movement outside of the exercise context. And it's, um, can I walk more instead of driving my car? Can I sit on the floor more? Maybe you don't want to get rid of your couch, but you don't have to sit on it all the time. Um, can I get a standing work desk or create a dynamic work desk? Can I get a squat toilet? Um, those are ways within, it's kind of like you're still in the zoo, but maybe someone is giving you a slightly better habitat, more suitable habitat. And then, um, then there are things like movement is not just about, you know, arms and legs. It's about light exposure and temperature exposure and how can you go outside? Can you eat outside on a picnic blanket? you know, um, a couple times a week, you know, maybe sitting on the floor in your house and having a carpet picnic would be the step to get closer to, okay, how about eating outside sometimes? How about, um, not bundling up so much when I go outside, but being just allow myself to regulate my temperature because there's a trillion muscles on your body that do that, that never get the job because of the thermostats and all of the excessive clothing that we're able to turn on or, you know, turn the air conditioning. Like you're, you're, you have muscles that shunt and move blood and move hair and, and can keep you comfortable, but we've have very little practice with that. So, um, and then can you spend, you know, multiple hours outside per day? Maybe you can't walk outside, but maybe you can, you know, if you're on the laptop or writing, can you do some of that outside? If not, can you get close to a window where you can look out at things that are different distances? So there's many different ways you can free yourself, I would say. Yeah. You know, and I think it's easy in our society to you know, think like a garage door opener. A garage door opener is incredibly convenient. You know, but it also you're outsourcing that movement that you could have had of squatting all the way down, doing a deadlift, lifting up, going through a full range of motion with your shoulders, an overhead press, and then throw in the door. You know, you could have that four times a day, you know, but instead we press the button. You know, so all of a sudden we've outsourced that movement. Great. That's fine. As long as we recognize what we've done and we utilize ourselves in some other fantastic way. The thing is we've only utilized ourselves. The fantastic way is, you know, organizing our email, you know, or something like I have more time for, for Facebook or whatever. This is great. You know, and, and what we're doing is we're putting ourselves, we're painting ourselves into a corner, you know, and it's like you get into this in the book where you talk about bras and belts and underwear and such, which we got to talk about the, the cremaster muscle and the testicles because that's just fantastic for people to be able to toss that word around. Um, you know, but like what happens when you are wearing a bra all day? You know, you're outsourcing the elasticity of your connective tissue around your chest to a bra and now all of a sudden your tits are hanging down to your belly button, you know, and it's like, I think that's the thing that that's when it gets real is once our tits are at our belly button or our testicles are down to our knees and it's like, Oh my God, maybe Katie Bowman was right. You know, do you have, <laughs> <laughs> do you know? I wonder if there's a lot of people saying that <laughs> right now. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Look down. But that's when it gets real. You know, a lot of this stuff, it's like people are like, this is ridiculous. You know, everyone lives the way they live. It's all just different. Uh, you know, what I do is as good as you do. And I agree with that to a degree, but there are more efficient ways to do certain things. And one of the quotes in your book was from Lena Horn, I think is her name. It says, it's not the load that breaks you down, but it's the way you carry it. 
You know, I think that that's what we got to figure out. It's like, how are we carrying these things? How can we do it more effectively? So can you tell us if we're for folks out there wearing wire bras or tidy whities you know, whatever, can you, can we kind of talk a little bit about what the potential impact that could be? Well, you know, the book is about natural loads. There's not, as we're reintroducing forces back into anatomy and disease models, it's like, oh, holy cow, cells depend quite a bit on movement. So you're basically making your breast and your balls sedentary is what you're doing, right? So you're going, ah, we're going to, we're going to, for whatever reasons, cultural comfort, we are going to make these parts of us not move. But as you were saying before, movement is not always for the sake of movement. Movement is what keeps things healthy. So like in the same way you put a high heel shoe on, it's like, hey, my ankle doesn't articulate any longer. It's like, that's fine. I'm still able to get to point A to point B. Like if that's what you think of walking, then it's no big deal. But if it's like, yeah, but your calf going through its full ranges of motion is is how the blood gets back up to your heart. So now your high heel is affecting your cardiovascular system, right? And right. And, and then, oh, those tissues are adapting. So you're actually making that pump smaller. That pump is adapting to be able to do less. So um, with things like bras and, and underwear, I mean, you were just handed them. Like, you just get them as kids. You know, you were put in a stroller and you were put in a crib and you were put into underwear. You were get, put, given a pillow. You're given all these casts because they are culturally dictated from a perspective that you probably don't even truly subscribe to, right? Like right. a lot of them are puritanical descents and most people are not within a puritanical society any longer yet. We really are because the bulk of what we do actually comes from very puritanical um, roots. Right. Um, but it's just like, but this is just like, I would feel awkward in my society if I didn't do this, which is totally legit. Sure. But when we're dealing with major disease increases in these areas, we have to go, well, what's the role of movement in keeping these parts healthy? Which is not to say that these technologies, like, yes, your briefs are a technology, but like, it's not to say that these technologies cause anything because it's too, too complex of a, uh, of a, you're like a bundle of inputs. But at the same time, there's clearly something going on in these areas and we've got very atypical loads and sedentary spots. And so it's just really to get you to start going, huh, yeah, you're right. Like I'm not, I am anti, I am anti-sedentarism, right? Like I'm pro-movement, but at the same time, we're not really. Right. We're very pro-immobilizing lots of different parts of our body because it's culturally dictated to do so. So it's more just to get people to start thinking about it because there are many people who would say that they are not sedentary, who are actually not only mostly sedentary through the day, most of their parts are sedentary throughout their life. So I'm just trying to right. trying to um, make a, a, I'd like to um, contribute to a more robust understanding of active versus sedentary. Yeah, and I think that you could just as well, I mean, I think you are saying this, where it's like you could say that we're in a cultural caste. You know, so I think that when what, what we've done in our culture, you know, is now we've started to ridicule or outcast people that might potentially be different or move differently. And this is something that I noticed because I do move differently. You know, like I do do weird squats. I will like, you know, twerk my butt you know, or I will do handstands or cartwheels or climb a tree randomly or climb a building. You know, it's like because 
it feels good, you know, and it's like letting go of whatever the constraints of what we think that we should do, because what we should do isn't working, you know, like diabetes and depression and, you know, all this stuff is increasing. Like, I think we're dependent on the people that are willing to be different. You know, it's like one of the things that you had mentioned was, was blood flow and how our movement is dependent upon, or our blood flow is dependent upon our movement. You know, and then one of the things that you get into, which I heard this from you originally, I thought it was like mind blowing, was the the concept of atherosclerosis being a product of improper movement functionality or repetitive movement. Um, can you talk a little bit about your perspectives on that? And like that's that's just that's very interesting. I don't think a lot of people really have that that outlook on that. Um, well. You're talking about like plaque accumulation in the arteries, that section of move your DNA? As a product of repetitive stress and the waves crashing yeah. and creating fatty plaque, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that like most people will think of that, they, they, everything, you know, to do with cardiovascular arterial stuff is diet, right? Like everyone's trying to make their heart and arteries healthier through diet. And it's like, well, right. but you, it's, again, there's a mechanical environment and there's um, lots of well-executed research on the effect of mechanical loads on the arterial walls and um, and how how movement, how the alignment of your blood flow affects, you know, genetic expression of the cells that line your arteries to make them something that makes them attract plaque more versus something that resists plaque. And so the way that you move and the positions that you assume and that you frequent – um, are the creator of your arterial mechanical environment. Yet it's a variable that, you know, I've never seen addressed anywhere else outside of, you know, cardiovascular physics textbooks. No one's saying, hey, you know, someone will say, I have plaque and um, I'm drinking green tea or I'm, I got plaque and I'm, um, you know, I went on this low cholesterol diet or whatever, you know, like they're, right. it's like, yes, but your plaque is site specific. Like, you're, you don't have, when you have osteoporosis, you don't have osteoporosis head to toe. You have it in certain areas. And when you have plaque accumulation, you don't have it throughout your arteries. You have it in very specific locations. And you'll find some that even the right and left sides of your body in that location, like say it's um, uh, femoral artery plaque, that you'll have some more on your left hip and not on your right. And then it's like, holy cow, that's my tight hip, you know? And Hmm. That when you see things that are site specific, you you have to automatically go looking for forces because it lets you know that it's not a systemic thing. So that there is a there's a mechanical trigger, right? Because your your mouth your food goes into your mouth, and is distilled throughout your body. But forces are local, right. and so issues like osteoporosis or plaque accumulation are local. So you're like, what is the local environment? It's just about looking at your body on a, a little bit, like you. <laughs> You are not a body. You are a trillion bodies. And so the health that you're experiencing as a single body is the sum total of the health of all of the smaller pieces of your body. So everyone will be like, I'm great. Right. Yeah, I got this hip. I got this knee thing. But you're, you're reducing you're, – you're like drawing a circle around a part of your body that's not healthy and then pushing it up to go, but the rest of me is awesome. It's like, yeah, but all it takes is one spot of you not to being – doing well for all of you to be suffering. So, so it really is about kind of getting all of your cells to flourish. And so, um, again, forces and things like plaque, the more you recognize and realize, um, think like mechanical environments. And again, about sedentary spots within a being that maybe an exercise or maybe an active 
being you can still have pot spots that are sedentary and sluggish that those parts become diseased and so that's I guess that's my perspective it's again honing in on our idea of assessing movement on a, a smaller scale than your whole body doing it or not or even you know your joints like it's like oh I'm, I look at these different joints it's like yeah but every cell like cell to cell is a joint right so you have many many levels in which you can be assessing the quality of movement yeah another thing that i pulled out of your book that i thought was really great was the um every cell or almost every cell is within a couple of few hair widths from a capillary you know so we have this again this model that we look at and we see you know our arterial system we see that you know the, the blood vessels and such and we think that it's like a fire hose, you know, coming from your heart, you know, out to the side, up and down. And it's like, then we have a couple little fire hoses coming out and that's just the way it goes. And it's like a steam engine and a cha 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 And it's just like, we have this concept of what's happening and it's, and it's bogus. You know, we need to, we need to recognize that the, the intricacy of this system that we occupy is immense. You know, and we need to get excited about it. You know, that's once again, I think that, you know, if you're on the path to getting excited about it, check out Move Your DNA because it's, it's, it's really, really important. You know, and along with that, I think that oftentimes we become very myopic with our perspectives on developing our musculature. You know, it's like, I want my bicep, I want my tricep, I want my abs, you know, or something that I know that you've riffed on quite a bit is the, the Kegel exercise. That's a big one. You know, it's like, I'm doing my Kegels right now. You know, it's like we, we, we get wrapped up in this one specific point, you know, and then we focus on that for two years or whatever, and then people get bored of it and they move on to something else. But during that two-year time frame, we're all about the transverse abs. We're all about the psoas. We're all about the Kegel exercises. You know, can you kind of break down a little bit, like, the, the value of having a, a, a strong, stable, supportive pelvic floor and, like, what that is, what that means, you know, and the, the pressure systems, you know, is like when in Japanese films when someone gets stabbed in the stomach and then the guts fly out. <laughs> can you break down the importance of balancing those pressure systems and, and you know, like, what's the point of a, a Kegel exercise or what, what that is? You know, you you cut out. I haven't heard you for like two minutes. Son of a bitch. <laughs> That's very depressing. Um, okay. Well, I can, can you hear me right now? I can ask you. Hopefully this is just picking it up, the, the audio. This is good. I can hear you now. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what I asked, Katie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My question was in regards to, to, to folks becoming overly if – I, if, if I cut out, you just like say, Aaron, I don't hear what the hell you're saying. Um, but folks getting overly myopic with their perspectives on you know, creating you – know, we want our biceps, or we want our triceps, or we want our abs, you know, or we want to we develop our butts. You know, but we don't think about integrating the whole entire system, you know, reverse engineering these parts – you know, and something that you've gotten into, a, uh, I've seen you get into quite a bit, was, was the, uh, the Kegel exercises, you know, and, and the relation of, like, how do we, can we reverse engineer this thing and just contract our pelvic floor muscles in order to, to restabilize that? Or is it a, a more global situation, working with the, the pressure systems throughout, you know, our torso and, you know, our, our, the um, organization of our spine? You know, can you break down a little bit of, like, what's... What's the point of a Kegel exercise? Is that totally bogus? Well, I think this this discussion needs a, a broader perspective, which is, um, again, like we, we are a teaching to the test kind of culture, right? Like that's, it's not just an exercise. 
we're trying to we're trying to spot treat everything. So the problem is the problem is lifestyle. I mean, I think that for most issues, everything can be tracked down to a particular lifestyle. Right. But we don't want to change our lifestyle. We want to solve the problem doing exactly the same things that got us to the problem. Mm. And for some reason, it's easier to add things than maybe subtract things. So I'm not going to change the way I eat, but I'll start taking vitamins, right? I'm not going to eat food that's more nutritious. I will go buy something that has been like genetic, like, like engineered, Right. To, to fill this gap, even though the gap that it fills will not be tightly filled. It'll be loosely filled. It would have been better filled had I just eaten better. So it's, it's a lot easier. It's, it's easier to like just change a small percentage, right? And that's, that's fine. That's how humans are. Like we all have, so, we all have something that are like, you know, what? I, I know that I need to change the whole thing, but I'm just going to go get this and hope that that helps. So um, there was a study that came out earlier this year about grip strength. And uh, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, sorry about that. Um, with grip strength and the correlation between measuring um, low grip strength and death from different cardiovascular diseases. So mm-hmm. then they release it and then everyone's like, wow, people who had higher grip strength um, show that they have better outcomes here, right? And, and the reason that the research was done was to try to find an inexpensive evaluation tool, right? It's not easy to get everyone to do a blood lipid panel and a diet analysis and all these expensive things. But if you can go give 30,000 people a grip strength and go, ah, your grip strength's pretty low, this might be, it's like a screening. They're creating health screening. But then the media reports it as, hey, everybody, like the, the better grip strength you have, the longer you'll live. So everyone go get these, you know, start doing your grip strengthening exercises, right? Like that's, it's like an, if it's a very illogical process but we do this all the time where we see something like that and then go oh this part of me is weak Hmm. so i'm going to do the thing that strengthens where the people who had better health outcomes and who also had better grip strength were not doing grip strength exercises they were living their life in a way that resulted in better grip strength right so so with things like kegels or things like you know, act to pull your belly button towards your spine all the time, right? Where we don't want to move. We don't want to do any of the things that would create a naturally st- strong structure. Instead, we're going to continue to not move. And then we're just going to like pick a few body parts that we want to for what, because they're bothering us right now, or because they don't look the way that we want them to. We're just going to do some isolated exercises. And even though the results will come back as like in the long term, the system not functioning any better. Yes, your grip strength is getting better, but sorry, it's not carrying over to the heart disease because you're not actually doing the things that got you to the heart disease. The same thing goes for these kind of like spot treatments. So, I mean, I live in this culture too. I totally get where things come from and I get that, you know, maybe it's better to pass the test than flunk the test, but I don't know if it's better to pass a test versus learn all of the things that the test was supposed to have been a filter for you to know. Like if you just learn the answers to the test, that's not the same thing as knowing the body of information well enough where you could arrive at any sort of question that came up, not just these 30 questions, but any questions. Like I'm talking about like education, right? Sure. That, that idea that, um, move that, 
that a healthy lifestyle elicits more than a strong pelvic floor and strong grip strength, that it elicits many other immeasurable things. But if you always set up your programming so that you're teaching to the test, you will get um, you will get a positive outcome on paper, but it doesn't necessarily trickle over. So it's like, is there a difference between eating your vitamin? Is, is there a difference between getting, I'm just making up numbers now, I don't know, like a thousand milligrams of vitamin C from eating an orange or a thousand milligrams of vitamin C from eating a supplement? Right. Like if those are your two options, those are different outcomes. But if you set your test up to be, did you get a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, you're going to be positive in both cases. But if you were starving that day and someone handed you a vitamin C supplement, you know, it would take care of that void, but it wouldn't give you any calories. Um, there wouldn't be any, there like, there would be no blood sugar increase. Like it, it's just a, it's a very compartmentalized. And I think maybe that's what you're, when you're saying like Darwinian, yeah. are you meaning like, like a scientific reduction? Yes. Okay. So I, I don't see Darwin in that way, but I do, I do see, um, science as being a process of reductionism. Oh, and, and I meant Newtonian. Did I say Darwinian? You said Darwinian. Oh, I believe so. I, I meant to say Newtonian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I mean, even, but even Newton, like your Newtonian physics, Newtonian physics really still applies. It's the model that's too simple. The, the, the formulas are simple because the models are simple because the models were created before telescope uh, mi microscopes right. and before nanotechnology. Like it's, it's not that the, it's not that the equations are wrong. It's that the models are very simple and it's happening across. I mean, biology as a whole is like I said, all the cells are two dimensional. Like you've removed an entire dimension from your studies because you have to, because you can't see anything. So the scientific investigation is limited to what you can test, but as you can test more, the models need to be expanded. They're just not being expanded, right? You, you, when you go to school, are still learning what was the height of understanding, you know, 30 to 60 years ago, because it takes a long time for those to be passed on. And as we said earlier, there's often resistance. Like if culture, if the culture is simplified models, when you start presenting a more robust model, there's a pushback. It's like, well, we haven't, right. this is how we, we've always done it this way and it's been just fine. But then I guess if you start evaluating, has it really always been just fine? And then you can start working to expand the model a bit. Yeah. Another quote that I pulled out, I'll let you go here in, in a minute. Another quote that I pulled out of the book was from Richard Feynman and it was, nature isn't classical, damn it. And if you try to simulate it, you better make it quantum mechanical. You know, and I think that's the thing is now we're getting more into this quantum level of things. It's like, oh, maybe this mechanical model that we thought it was, maybe it's a little bit more complex than that. And I, it's like, it goes along with the using supplement versus eating a whole food. When you eat that whole food, you're getting all this stuff that we don't necessarily mention. We don't realize it's in there, but all the enzymes and the activators of this and that and the other, that's what we're not, that's what we may be missing by not putting ourselves in these more natural environments. You know, that's, that's my thought. Scientists understand that it's not simple. Like Richard Feynman is saying, like what we're talking about now, Richard Feynman is saying 50 years ago, he's saying that the models are are too simple. And I think that there's become this big thing. It's like, like, oh, Newtonian physics is all wrong. It's this model. It's like, yes, people who actually work in the scientific field understand this. Right. It's just, not, it's not the information that's being taught to practitioners. 
practitioners are getting the simple model mostly because they they haven't invested I don't want to say it like uh, you, can t- you can cut that out. It's not that they have invested the time, but they haven't gone as deep into the study, right? They're taking courses that are being um, brought brought to a particular level of being able to understand without like how how are you supposed to take a class in in movement at the quantum level? Like who's going to take that class? Like you do, we don't have the ability to teach that class to make it available so that the people who love to teach movement, which are hundreds of thousands of people. Like, it'd be very difficult to get them to be able to take that class. But what's not coming packaged with it is, I'm going to teach this class and it's going to be reduced. So before we start talking about this is the way that you walk and this is the way that you breathe, like, understand that these are simplified models. And so then now we've got a bunch of people battling, you know, it's like, no, it's like this. It's like this. It's like, it's actually like all of that. Everyone's right. It's just that everyone is on a particular different part of the elephant, right? Which is on right. the back of the book, right? Everyone's just looking at a particular piece. It's like everyone is actually right on track. It's just that it's such a huge, immense problem that it's never like this is how it works. Like this is this is the only part of it that works, right? It'd be like saying that nutrition is like, oh, just you just need your carbs, your protein, and your um, fat. And it's like, okay, that's right. But there are ways to eat that that's not right. And it's like, oh, no, you need your um, small chain fatty acids and you need to make sure that um, you get these amino acids. Like it just keeps getting more and more dialed in. So the person who said that you only need to eat this, this, and this wasn't wrong. It just wasn't as good of a model as someone who adds enzymes and right. and the frequency. And what about fasting? Fasting has a role here, right? Not eating at all. Right. If not eating at all, but you couldn't say that the best diet is not eating at all, even though it is sometimes. So I think it's just that that perspective of like when you keep in mind that it's a very large problem that everyone is working on with the intention of really like wanting to help a lot of people. It just it removes a lot of the the negativity I think that's you know going around sometimes with trying to figure out the right way to talk about it. But yeah, Richard Feynman is awesome. Awesome. Cool. That's a beautiful explanation. You're out of time, Katie. What's where, where do people find you at? You can find me at Katie Says, K-A-T-Y Says, and nutritiousmovement.com, which will be up um, later this fall. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really super appreciate everything you're doing. I'm going to keep on following along and um, keep on spreading the word about what you're doing. Thank you. It's awesome. All right. Thanks so much. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye.
Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Online Podcast.